Hello, hello. Let me, Hi. Let me get the tunes back on. Uh, you're listening to Midnight Movie Gang. I'm your host, LC. And I'm Courtney. I'm Cor- and I was going to say, I'm Courtney. <laughs> you're LC tonight. Um, hello, I'm LC. My pronouns are he, him. If this is the first episode listening. Uh, I'm Courtney. My pronouns are they, them. Yep. And uh, this is a podcast where we talk about movies and kind of things related to, you know, cinema and whatnot. Um, and this is episode three. It was supposed to technically be episode one. The, the plan originally was for this episode to be episode one. Well, like the, things the, change. The, the, yeah, exactly. It actually, the whole order flipped. Because, like, no no one will save you ended up being episode two. And then Old Boy ended up being... No, episode one. And then Old Boy ended up being episode two, which I wanted to be episode three. So it's all... But you know what? Here we are. And I'm excited. Um, so today, I guess primarily... Just reactionarily wise, we're going to be talking a lot about um, this movie that we just watched, this uh, 2016 Canadian Lovecraftian horror film called The Void. Um, But I think also we're going to be talking a bit about uh, John Carpenter, um, the thing specifically, and kind of just practical effects in like horror and stuff and like creatures um, versus like kind of CGI like we see now. Um, but yeah, we just finished watching this movie, The Void, and literally uh, like ten minutes ago. Literally like ten minutes ago, we uh, we got some ice cream, and I, I think it was the right call not eating like main dinner with this movie. Yeah, you said the movie was gonna be gory, so I wanted to eat dinner beforehand. Yeah, I didn't realize how particularly gory it's. Uh, let's talk about oh. let's talk about uh, what teas we're drinking. Yeah, so today, um, I first of all, I have a new mug that I got at a. Um, a craft market that we went to this last weekend. It's a very pretty mug. It has a cicada on it. Actually, specifically a Brood X cicada on it. Um, And the tea I'm drinking today is Dynasty brand Jasmine Green Tea. Mm. Delicious. And I'm drinking Ginger Tea. What's the company? That's Yogi. Yogi Ginger Tea, uh, which supports healthy digestions caffeine free um yeah no uh yogi uh ginger tea i love ginger tea i hate it it helps whenever i have a headache yeah did i tell you the story about why i started drinking ginger tea because i was so i was going to see in college i was going to see with a friend of mine we were going to see the movie shazam i do remember this story yeah and i i got a really really bad migraine before going to see it and my friend was like, you want to cancel? And I was like, no, I really want to see Shazam. I think that it's so funny. Out, out of every movie that you'd <laughs> muscle through a migraine for, it's Shazam. I was really looking forward to seeing Shazam. No, that's fair. I but like, like Shazam. It's Shazam. Uh, I know. I, I think it's a fine movie, but like, it's it's not Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so I was really committed to seeing Shazam. So we went. And then uh, when we got into the movie theater, um, I was like invisible pain. Like, it was a really bad migraine. Like, I was, like, sweating, and, like, I was... Oh, just, yeah. I get migraines yeah. all the time. It was it was rough. And the uh, the girl behind the counter could clearly see, like, that I was... And I was still like, yeah, I got a headache. She's like, oh, you should get some ginger tea. It really helps. And they had, you know, hot tea at the theater. And she I didn't me, know theaters had hot tea. Yeah, it's a pretty common thing. They all have hot tea. When I worked at movie theater in high school, we had hot tea behind the counter. Mm. It was actually the cheapest at my theater i worked at it was the cheapest thing to get 
I think it was like 250 for a cup of tea. That's still kind of expensive, but that's fair. Yeah. I also think there was some... Um, but yeah, the ginger tea solved your problem, right? Yeah, no. Like instantly, instant relief. Yeah. Um. So whenever I get... I feel like it's got to be something similar. There's got to be a similar tie-in there as to how, why I get, um, get a brain freeze so bad. I don't know what's going on in your brain. <laughs> I'm not a neurologist. My si- my sinuses and and just the inside of my head is fucking messed up. Anywho, um, yeah. So uh, let's talk about the movie, The Void. Yeah. Um, do you want to summarize kind of the basic like synopsis of The Void? Yeah. There isn't really a whole lot to it. Yeah. Um. So basically, um, this cop finds a man on the side of the street um who is injured and he brings him and it's like a small town cop kind of situation small town Um, rural yeah so he brings the injured man to the hospital which is coincidentally the small half burned down like rinkety ass yeah uh there's literally like four people working there yeah this like teeny tiny hospital in this teeny tiny rural area and it coincidentally is the hospital that his nurse wife who he is estranged from like they're separated or something um she works there as a nurse uh and he brings this injured man there and um as soon as he brings the injured man there a bunch of weird stuff happens there's um some culty aspects there's um basically they end up trapped in the hospital with some other characters there's a pregnant teenager there's mm-hmm. and her grandpa. grandpa um and there's a couple of other side characters but basically they're trapped in this hospital and they have to go into the creepy basement where there's like demonic stuff going on um, to try to find a way to get out of this situation because the hospital is like surrounded by cultists. Yeah, surrounded by these cultists it's in like white a, robes. It's like an existential culty uh, like um, voidy sci-fi. kind of there's big sci-fi yeah. elements in here for sure yeah I, I was reading some of the letterbox reviews before watching this movie that's um, dangerous yeah well i just kind of just wanted to see what the vibe was i enjoyed it a lot more than than a lot of the letterbox people did for probably different reasons than some of the letterbox people yeah i mean i never know where my reviews are going to stack up against the other letterbox users i feel like most of the time i have completely different vibes Mm-hmm. than a lot of the consensus on Letterboxd. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of the reviews basically compared it to The Thing, um, to Event Horizon, which have, have, we haven't watched Event Horizon. I have not seen that one, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I've talked, it's kind of a thing where it's like, it's kind of like like these astronauts find an abandoned ship in space and they go check it out and there's demons on the ship. Um, so it's, it's, which sounds cooler than it is. Yeah. Because honestly, there isn't really a whole lot of demons in that movie. But uh, that's kind of lame. Yeah, teach their own. Like, yeah, it really, it really blue balls you that one. There isn't like, yeah. Um, but yeah, no. And basically, yeah. So in this movie, um, the cultists are outside, and then within the hospital, as they kind of like go deeper and try to like move around the hospital, like certain people get possessed. It seems, and like mm-hmm. there's uh, some creatures, um, and kind of most notably, like some crazy good practical effects that come out of nowhere in yeah. this movie I feel like it's kind of funny because the whole movie has like you know it's like a fun I like cheap kind of sci-fi horror movies like this like well when we started up this movie was reminding me a lot of this movie 
that I watched a few times in high school called Extraterrestrial. And it's kind of like a sci-fi channel level, like, horror movie about, like, these, like, five college students go to a cabin in the woods, um, and they get abducted by aliens. Like, aliens start fucking with them and stuff. And it's kind of like that level. But then just the, the practical effects of this movie are just great, and they take you off guard. Yeah. As to how great they are. Um, but, yeah, so did you like it? Like, what'd you, what did you... How'd you feel about it? Um, I really liked it. I really like... I love practical effects. Um, it's one of my favorite features of a good movie is practical effects. Um, I liked how kind of off the wall the story was. I felt like um, there wasn't a whole lot of character development in the story, but I didn't need there to be. Yeah. Um, because it wasn't so much for me about the individual characters. It was just about the whole thing itself. Uh, and I looked at some of the letterbox reviews after watching it like a few minutes ago and the main complaint I was noticing was that people were like, there is no character development, which I totally get, but... Um, there isn't anything just, thing, really, either. Right. I just like a good, like... It was just a good, gory, um, existential horror movie. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't need more from individual characters, because I think the story itself did enough for me without there having to be... Um, anything else yeah like it's a very fun b movie yeah i didn't um, i didn't have to feel connected to the characters in order to care about it just because it was like so crazy mm -hmm. yeah th this is the exact kind of movie that i would like like <laughs> i would watch in middle school like after my mom went to sleep and like i'd either like pirated online or like if we had like a dvd of something I'd like watch it like something like when I was in high school it'd be a movie like Species or Tremors or something where like I would like watch it really late and like I wouldn't want my mom to know because she's gonna be like you're just gonna get scared if you watch <laughs> it and you're not gonna sleep well like, no I'm gonna watch it you know <laughs> like that's that's very much like this kind of vibe and I, and I love these kind of movies just like really simple five, same thing like it's similar to the movie you watched a few weeks ago Altered uh, which is a fun movie about these four redneck guys that kidnap an alien. Anyway, yeah. Uh, but it reminded me, uh, like, in the same vein as, like, Altered that we watched a few weeks ago, where it's, like, a low-budget thing. And I'm looking... So, remember I, I, I said during the movie, I looked at the Wikipedia page, and it says that the budget was only $82,000, which is nuts, is nothing for a movie. But I, looking at the production thing on it, it says that... The, the creature effects and the special effects, they did like a Indiegogo campaign just for the creature effects. And then the rest of the movie's funding was through traditional channels. So like more than that, that's just for right. the special effects. Which, that still feels low. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, when you think about it, there aren't even, there aren't necessarily a whole lot. There are really kind of like three big effects scenes in this movie, which were, well, like, Slight spoilers for like the story, but basically it's like there's like a, a, a small scene in a hallway with a creature, and then there's a scene around the middle of the movie with a bunch of creatures, and then there's a big creature at the end. There's like a big the baby, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, like I feel like there's a lot of little creature scenes. Like you have the Beverly creature mm -hmm. yeah, early on and stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, the shot. The shot. 
Remember the shot early on in the movie where she's on the ground and there's like spider legs coming out of her mouth? Yeah. That was so the thing. Yeah. That was like a... Especially with the way that the, they were moving really erratically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, for the thing, I feel like... To me, it feels like in the thing, the way that the creature's tentacles move is more a feature of like this is as good as puppeteering could be mm-hmm. for that. But for this movie, it seemed intentional. Like it seemed like intentionally replicating that. Yeah. Just cause they were like harkening back to, yeah. Cause you can definitely tell it's like harkening back to eighties movies, even down to the whole thing of like, um, for a minute, we thought this movie was a period piece. Yeah. Cause the computer there were like, first of all, the hospital had paper files. Yeah. Um, it could just be a shitty hospital. It could just be a shitty hospital, but even in like human hospitals, like paper records aren't as common anymore especially like mm-hmm. now um but there was also like a, the big boxy computer and stuff yeah this um, movie came out in 2016 by the way which so right re- they would have modern computers and shit yeah. right and um we also didn't see any cell phones no one had a cell phone mm-hmm. so it still technically could have been a period piece yeah I'd say the, the only other things to look at really when when I when I try to figure out when a movie takes place, I always look at the cars. And there weren't that many. Or that many in the clothes, and most of the characters in this movie were in like uniforms, were either in like scrubs right. or like the cop uniforms. But the only car I think we see in this movie is the cop car. Right, and it just looked like it didn't look like a super modern one. Yeah, but it didn't look old either. But yeah, it, once again, it could harken back to like that like. It's in the middle of nowhere, so you know right. it's possible. So they don't have like the Ford Explorers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That would definitely be a tip off. My iPad's a five percent battery. Um, but yeah, no. Like as far as the story, I kind of agree with you. I think, I think um, it's a good setup, and then I also think they give you a nice amount of like detail to know about the characters. Yeah, like knowing that um, the main cop. Uh, Daniel and uh, Allison having, you know, their marriage and like, you know, how they they had a kid that it, it was implied that died, died during childbirth. Died during childbirth, and then or or died before childbirth. Yeah, it it they didn't really say if she had they, ever actually given if she had yeah. given birth to a live baby or not. Yeah. Anyway, the the way that the doctor described it was that um the baby's uh, umbilical cord wrapped around its own neck, which like yeah. could happen before it was born or could have happened mm-hmm. like during. Point is, yeah, they, they lost a child right. before it was born. And that is presumably the reason why they are... On the outs. On the outs. Yeah. Um, and then what else? Yeah, no, just like a nice setup. I mean, from the very beginning, when they introduced like the um, the pregnant uh, character... And they're yeah, like, that oh, was Chekhov's pregnant che- woman. Chekhov's pregnancy, yeah. And right. Just, like, it's You're like, that point. baby is coming during this. Yeah. I thought it was a pretty cool twist, her being... Um, her being a cultist. Yeah. I thought um, that was pretty cool. So, uh, originally when we meet, what is her name? Maggie? The, the, yeah, Maggie. Is yeah. The pregnant girl. So, originally when we meet Maggie, the pregnant character, we, we assume that she, so she's a teenager. Um, her exact age is not specified. Probably She looks like 16, 17. Yeah. Um, she is already at the hospital when the cop pulls up. Mm-hmm. with the injured man they are but the only is, people in the waiting room right her and her grandfather are the only people in the waiting room in the hospital it was um fun. and we we thought that the grandpa was the dad for a second we were like hold on like the yeah we were really the child. Wait, we what? were really <laughs> concerned about like what this man's interest was in this child and her child um but 
he is just her grandfather drives her to the hospital because um the baby seems like it is coming soon and she seems to be in a little bit of distress but not enough to be a real emergency um but we are not told at all anything about like the possible father and like I yeah they don't even hint like as to like who it could be no I just assume and I feel like that's on purpose because like I mean a pregnant teenager like there's a number of reasons why a teenager might be pregnant um but as far as like who the father could be and so I feel like you don't really need an explanation at that point because you're like oh it's probably some other kid you know Mm -hmm. um and I like that they don't even imply anything because it didn't occur to me at all to think about the father of that child because I just assumed it was another Mm -hmm. (laughs) 17-year-old. Like, I just assumed it was another uh, kid she goes to school with or whatever. Um, But later on in the movie, you find out that she's one of the cultists and she kills her grandfather. And it's not very clear if she herself is dead. Yeah. Because before this point, she was in major distress with the baby yeah. because it, at one point while everything else is going down in the movie um she is saying that she's in a lot of pain and there's a lot of blood like it looks mm-hmm. like something is going wrong with the baby yeah. and i think the baby was already starting to transform at this point. right so it's unclear as to if she's dead when she kills her grandfather like if she is um because there's some demonic like undead things going on in this hospital Mm -hmm. um so it's pretty unclear but she kills her grandfather and says to the um assistant like medical assistant or like you know yeah i don't know what her role is she's not a nurse she's like a candy striper um this says intern intern kim intern kim nurse beverly pregnant patient Yeah, yeah yeah so kim the intern is wholly unprepared to deal with any type of emergency situation because she's just an intern. And she, um, Maggie, the pregnant girl, tells her that the baby is the doctor's baby. Yeah. And that, like, basically that she's a cultist yeah. and she joins him and yeah, the, the in doctor, the basement. The doctor is revealed to be the villain. Like, the doctor seemingly gets killed off early. The one. Yeah, and then it's revealed that like he, he gets resurrected by the demonic energy, and it's revealed that he's kind of been doing this all along. And the fact he's been like running weird experiments on people, on people to try to basically achieve immortality because yeah. his his own daughter died young. Yeah, um, and suffering the loss of his daughter kind of made him go nuts a little, yeah. especially because he is a doctor. And couldn't save her life. And we're not told what she died of. I'm assuming it was either an accident or like a rare child illness. Um, but basically, he feels a lot of guilt and shame about the fact that he couldn't save her. Um, so he does these crazy experiments on people to yeah. try to achieve immortality. And he does. Yeah, like brings, he basically bringing, bringing people back to life, their corpses but they also are kind of it's actually it's a really cool like it's a combination of like zombie yeah where like people like it's these corpses brought back to life but then they're also transformed into these creatures and like i loved the shot like kind of in the middle latter half of the movie where like they find the room full of the creatures yeah and like one of them is 
like basically stabbing its head against this pole coming out of the wall. Yeah. And like it's it's it looks so crazy because it's it's like a real, I guess it's like a mannequin head that yeah. you know, it's all gooey and like ah. Yeah, I really liked that scene because previously the doctor um, had Dr. Powell. He. Richard Powell. Yeah, Dr. Powell had said that these were all of his experiments and um, they had all tried to die and wanted to die, but he wouldn't let them. And then it shows us that scene of that one, like putting its head repeatedly into like the pipe and that scene was just kind of crazy because none of the creatures talked or like like it was they were not human Mm -hmm. um but you could tell that they didn't want to be alive like they didn't want to be like this and the just the imagery of like a creature like futilely trying to kill itself over and over and over to the point where it had like a hole in its head multiple holes multiple holes in its head but couldn't achieve that was really haunting mm-hmm. um it was the it was Sid's room in Toy Story times 10 million right it was like the non-kid version of that yeah yeah some of the things um that i really liked about that idea in particular is that first of all just like the lengths that men will go before a going to therapy yeah, is kind of crazy to me the whole thing is like it's the doctor just trying to like bring his daughter back bring his daughter back and just deal with that whole thing and right yeah like he would rather torture an unknown amount of people um than just go to therapy to deal with the loss of his daughter. Like, I'm in no way minimizing such a loss because, like, you know, parents are never supposed to lose their kids. It's supposed to be the other way around. Um, But you got to be doing something else. You can't be out here disemboweling people to try to achieve immortality to bring your daughter back. No. And I also... Yeah. And I also understand the feeling of powerlessness... Because, like, he is a doctor. If anyone could have helped his daughter, it would be him. And he couldn't. And Did they ever say what she died of? No, yeah. they didn't. Um, but he does talk about how, like, how it feels to be that powerless. And, like, if you could cure anything, wouldn't you? And, like, in when he said, when he was saying those things, it was making me think about, like, um, the the limits that we have as far as we can't achieve immortality and I don't feel like it's ethical to try Mm -hmm. because if we all lived forever there just wouldn't be enough of anything anymore yeah and like there's a lot of I I I mean I'm in grad school for a um in the medical field and so I think about this a lot about medical advancements and how amazing it is that we can cure diseases and how amazing it is that we're working on cures and um, assistant uh, medical devices and um, treatments that help extend life. But at the end of the day, there has to be a limit. Mm -hmm. Like we can't just make everyone and everything live forever. And it's just not ethical to be trying to achieve that. When the real 
in my mind, the real goal is to alleviate suffering. Yeah. Not to extend life forever. You ever, um, have I told you about the show Altered Carbon? Yeah, where it's like the people live forever because they can just like, they just make, the rich people just make clones of their bodies, like of their younger selves and just keep uploading their brains into the younger That's version. That's crazy. Yeah, it's messed up. And it just, in the show, it just leads like basically like, rich people just kind of being insane because they're like thousands of years old right and they've all and basically how do i put it they get bored really easily right so like they're they they just do insane shit like there's like in in that show there's um there's like a uh basically like a brothel type thing where they literally go in and murder the prostitute like that's the whole thing it's like it's a murder house. You go in to murder a prostitute, and then the prostitutes they get their their consciousnesses uploaded into new bodies afterwards. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and that's like the whole thing. And it's like, yeah, for like, you know, people just go crazy. I just, it's interesting to me, um, because one of the tenets of being a doctor for no matter what your specialty is going to be, one of the tenets of, of being a doctor is first do no harm. Mm-hmm. And that is in the oath that any doctor takes is like above all else, we're doing no harm. And so the idea of inflicting pain, not knowing that, it's for a better cause is crazy to me and also inflicting pain and doing so with the expectation of like oh well they'll be immortal though like the question you have to ask is is that better because for like in this movie for the creatures he made they all want to die yeah like none of them want to live in their bodies so you have to assume that like they are suffering in there Either, whether it's physical pain, mental pain, both. Mm-hmm. Like, the, all of those creatures are so messed up. Did it give you any of the... Um, I know we've, we've talked about this in movies before. That, like... Um, that feeling like Tusk. or uh, I know you have a thing in movies or, like, in, in media where it's, like... Someone is being... If, if another person is kind of, like, forcing some kind of surgery or some kind of thing. Like, in the movie Tusk... The doctor guy is trying to forcibly transform Justin Long into a walrus. Um, it, and I know that, like, super skeeves you out. Did you get any of that in this movie? or No. Um, I have a weird thing with some movies. Most, it mostly happens in horror movies, such as in Tusk, where... Um, what was the other one that was really... So, hard? there's Tusk because he's being transformed into a walrus. They're sorry to bother you. Yeah, that was Which the one. is, there's like people turning into horses. Spoiler alert for both those yeah. movies. And then the human centipede, which like we all know what that's yeah. about. All three of those movies were movies that, well, we did end up finishing Sorry to Bother You. Yeah. But the other two movies I could not finish um, because they give me like a, a very visceral like ick basically is mm-hmm. the best way I can describe it. But I'm like deathly, like it really, it bothers me to the point of real nausea to watch that kind of thing. And I think for me, that is mostly because, um, 
first of all, it's it's the against the will thing. Uh-huh. But that, there's a lot of against the will stuff in horror movies anyway. In general, yeah. Um, That's kind of the basis of most horror, really. Right. But it's the... I think it's the animal part. Yeah. Is that, like, being transformed into, like, an animal or, like... I think that makes a lot of sense. I think most of it is just like having a human conscious, having human consciousness inside of something that's not human. Yeah. Like really bothers me. Yeah, I get that. Whereas like, but I don't get that. I don't get that in movies like the fly because he's doing it to himself. Yeah, It's he fucked around and found out. Right. It is of his, no one is, no one, no one forced him to get in the pod and like no one. Yeah. That's like a big element of it. And yeah, in this movie, it's like, Everyone's just being transformed into creatures. Right. And it's like, there's whole levels above just that kind of basic thing. Right. And this this movie, in particular, the creatures, while they're creepy, they're for sure creepy. And they creeped me out. And, like, the visuals were very visceral. It's more... The visuals, to me, were more exorcism demon than yeah. they were animal. The super the supernatural element was a big thing. Yeah. Because, like, at the very least... And something like... Tusker, sorry to bother you. I mean, hopefully those things won't happen. But like those, the scenario, the scenarios in those movies, and and like the the what happens in those movies is a lot closer to what could happen in reality than something like this, where it's like we're gonna open a portal to the right. upside down. Which speaking of the upside down, one of the reviews on Letterboxd said that like this movie inspired some of the later seasons of, Se- of Stranger Things. I which, could really see that when we watched this. 100%. Especially because like, what the Doctor looked like at the end of this movie. Pure Vecna. Just straight up Vecna. Vecna looked cooler though. Um, well, yeah, but scarier, also... Sexier voice. Um, true. But, uh, and then also like the dimension... They go to like... At the end of this movie you see... And it's probably the worst looking visuals in the movie. It is absolutely is, yeah. But it's just because it's, like, it's a big CGI environment. Like it's just... Uh, main cop man and uh, his nurse wife Allison. His nurse wife Allison are like in the other dimension where the cre- and it's kind of like just a bunch of big pyramids and it's like Lovecrafty and other world. And there's like thunder. It looked it looked a lot like when we see the mind flare. Yeah. In the upside down. I feel like we didn't need that ending. I, yeah. I, I want to talk about negatives of the movie soon, but like yeah. that, that was definitely one of the things where it's like you, you, we didn't need that. Throughout the movie, you kind of get little flashes of like space and like some like fleshy, gooey stuff, and like I feel like that was enough. Yeah. To kind of get the sense, and then then seeing just the portal at the end, I feel like you didn't need to ha- actually go into. Yeah. The world. Yeah, especially know? because the doctor says like, "Come join Allison," and I feel like I could have assumed that he did without having to see it, mm-hmm. especially because I was. It'd almost be kind of scary if you didn't know what happened after he jumped right. in. Right. Yeah, because, yeah, I think that that would have improved it a lot for me. I also think that um, there were so many strong visuals in the movie that to end on that CGI one sucked. Yeah. I thought it still left me unsettled because <laughs> I don't even know what the relevance of it was, but it just, the, the credits opened up with this really creepy kind of like lo-fi folk folky guitar song hated it yeah just like I, I don't even know what the context of it was but it was like ooh, just send the atmosphere was really good it was yeah. it was a per, it was a really nice little sci-fi horror movie um but in terms of talking about complaints which i do have yeah a lot of complaints i i, I like i think okay the parts where the performances are most good in this yeah. movie 
for me all have to do with when there are like the creatures and practical effects because mm -hmm. and this is like a really this is more of like a comment to the practical effects because there's actually physical creatures there I'm sure it made it an easier job for the actors to react to what's going on. That's true, yeah. Because, like, they actually look scary. Like, at the end, when, like, the big baby monster thing pops out. I hate that thing. It was so scary looking. And, like, the actors, you could tell, were like, when it was, like, coming down the hallway at them, they were like, nope. Um, but outside of that, like, most of the performances are, like, just really flat throughout the whole thing. They're, they're not the worst I've ever seen. Yeah. But, like, there really was kind of nothing going on and like like performance wise and then like I thought the main cop guy and Allison and the doctor were all solid in terms of like their motivations and backstories right. e everyone else though like the two like redneck guys who were chasing yeah the father and son yeah yeah the father and son who were like chasing after the the drug addict man from the beginning and like they just like they didn't really give their characters anything, and then I felt their performances weren't really anything. I mean, but it's like, in these kind of movies, I'm not really there for the characters, you know? Right. Like I I feel similarly about the character performances. I think that, in general, they weren't the strongest. Um, one thing that I don't think I needed at all was the father and son, mm -hmm. to be honest. Yeah, you could have cut them just straight out. Because when they first show up and, like, come into the hospital they're super hostile and i had i didn't follow why they were there at first like i know we see them in the opening very briefly um but i was like lost about why they were there and i don't think that they were necessarily important to the plot i also my other big character complaint is that i don't feel like people freaked out enough yeah like i i because for my first complaint was that when the cop first sees the first creature, he's not nearly as freaked out as I think he should be. Yeah. And then also later on when the father, the son and the, and the cop are all in the basement and they're in that room with all of the creatures, they're not nearly as freaked out as they should be by all of these like creepy ass, all of this creepy ass shit. Like, I don't understand how they could possibly just be in this room and not having complete meltdowns mm -hmm. about how scary it is. Yeah, I feel like something like The Thing d did it really well. Like, I think so, too. The first time they see anything, The Thing in The Thing, Yeah. Um, when is when it's got the dogs and stuff, mm -hmm. and like the they're like frozen there, right. like just in shock and horror, you know, and at I, it. And the thing, too, is I know that none of these three men have ever seen anything nearly as horrifying as that. Like, this cop is, like, some rural-ass cop. Yeah. The worst thing that man has probably ever seen is a car accident. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, there's no way that that man has ever seen anything as terrifying as that. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, at the end of the movie, when he he kills his, his wife, basically, because mm -hmm. she is, like, a source of the demon stuff like the the doctor has transformed her and i made a joke to you because i was like this man didn't even shed a tear he didn't even react mm -hmm. to the fact that he has to kill his wife yeah. and he and he axes her too he, he doesn't even it's not even like a gunshot you no. know what i mean like like it's not even like a cold like from a distance gunshot well, I'm not this gonna man waste the bullets. this man is 
hacking his wife to pieces. Mm-hmm. And we don't see it. We see it through like the glass, the glass. of a door. Yeah. But he doesn't. He hits. He hits her with that axe multiple times, and he like must decimate her body and i turned to you and i said i would hope that you would have a little bit more emotion about mm-hmm. having to kill me oh, i'd be crying the because whole time. if i turned into a scary uh she's demon like, machine squid. thing she was like a big squid yeah and, well it was kind of just like she gave birth to right we didn't see what she gave birth to exactly but like er- earlier we saw her belly all i think it was crazy. just tentacles mm-hmm. but um if that happened to me, I would want you to kill me because that's horrible. But also, as my uh, future husband, I would want you to at least like shed one tear. Like, for the love of God. Like, this man just is like, all right, gotta kill her. And I feel like that is crazy. So overall, like, there were a few moments in this movie that um, the lack of reactions by the, some of these characters really took me out of it. I would have had Bert kill you. <laughs> That's yeah, fair. We, we were joking around the whole time. If anybody out there has seen the movie Tremors, uh, any, any kind of like monster, zombie, apocalypse, apocalypse situation, you want Bert Gummer on your squad because yeah. he'd, he'd, he'd survive. He'd get all that shit done. Um, but yeah, so the lack of, re- the lack of reactions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'd say... Yeah, the, the performances really, and then some of the some of the plot points being kind of confusing. Like, yeah, I kind of had a hard time with figuring out why those two guys were there at the beginning. I also feel like there were too many old white men in this movie. Yeah. I feel like you could have taken out a few characters for sure. Like the state trooper. Yeah. Could have taken him out. Oh, yeah. I almost forgot that he Literally was even... forgot about him. Yeah. They... He, yeah. What purpose did he even... He took away... He was just an asshole for a minute, and then he died. He took away Mr. Copman's gun, but then Copman got his gun back real quick. Right. So, I don't know. Um, But yeah, no. Fun movie. The creatures were scary. Um, I kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit about They Live, if you're done talking about The Void. You want to give your rating for The Void, and we can talk about They Live a little bit. Yeah. Cool. What rating system are we using for the void? I'd say let's just use the letterbox. We'll just okay. do one to five. Uh, I gave it a four out of five because mm-hmm. I really liked the the practical effects. Really carried the movie for me. I just love practical effects. I love that Star Wars shit. That the thing shit. I love that. Mm-hmm. Give me some puppets. Yeah. Um, I personally <laughs> must my son harsh. I'm probably gonna give the movie. I haven't put it on letterbox yet. I'm probably gonna give it a three and a half. Um, but if I could just give the practical, like six and a half, yeah. it sorry no six yeah six and a half, it um yeah the effects are really really incredible for a movie with a budget this small and yeah. it's just it's so creative, um but that was really like the that was the, the driving thing that was the driving thing about it. and it's definitely a reason to the reason to watch it, um outside of that it was just kind of meh, um anyway yeah so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about they live. Which, eh, which um, I had had the uh, I had a whole Google Doc prepared. Um, they live is a 1988 um, American science fiction action horror film directed by Mr. John Carpenter, who he directed The Thing. And then up after watching They Live, I looked at his filmography and I was like, oh damn, we've seen a lot more John Carpenter movies than. I realize he also directed Halloween, 
and Starman. Movie Starman is not a horror film, but it's a movie I really enjoy. A lot of these I still want to see. He made an Invisible Man movie. You should check that out. Um, but yeah, so do you want to describe the uh, the premise of They Live? Yeah. Um, so basically, there's this drifter man mm-hmm. who reminds me a lot of the main guy in The Thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like John Carpenter <laughs> has a type. Yeah. Um, the man that he likes. He dirty, dirty blonde. He buff loves man. a dirty blonde buff man. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, this man is like kind of a drifter. Um, he is looking for work. Uh, because work in his town is dried up. Right. Close the mines or whatever. Right. The um, the implication is that the economy kind of sucks. He comes <laughs> relatable. To L- he comes to L.A. Um, so he comes to L.A. and he gets some work at a construction site and he meets a nice man who uh, he has a ton of sexual chemistry with. Keith David? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They wanted to fuck. They should have fucked. Throughout this um, whole movie. I know they did between scenes for 100%. sure. 100%. When they went to that hotel room. Right. Um, so this drifter man, he's credited as Nada. It's yeah. Roddy Piper. Um, I believe that's the character's name in the original short story. Yeah. Well. Um, and But Frank is the guy that he meets at the construction site. But anyway, um, there is... Frank introduces him to this little shanty town where they live for a little while. Um, and there's some weird stuff going on with one of the guys who... Uh, helps run it. Helps run the shanty town. Brings food. Right. Um, and he... Nada notices that um, across the street there's a church and there's like some suspicious activity going on in the church. So he so he goes over to the church um, and finds out that the songs that they're hearing from outside the church are not actually being sung by like a church choir. It's an audio recording and that it's a bunch of scientists having secret meetings in the church and they have made this technology in the form of these sunglasses that reveal that there are humanoid robot guys living among humans. And when Nada grabs a pair of sunglasses and puts them on, he can see what people around him are the robots. And also he can see in all of the advertisements, all of the newspapers, every bit of media, shopping bags, like everything has um, all of these messages on them that just say shit like consume buy uh produce reproduce um be happy like all of these just like subliminal messages that are very clearly saying like upkeep the status quo basically and when nada sees this he freaks out um and gets attention from the robot people who realize that he can see them and he drags Frank into it. Frank does not want to be dragged into it. There's a whole like five minute scene of them fighting because Mm -hmm. Nada just wants him to put the fucking glasses on and he won't do it. But the fighting scene is so long and it literally could have just been replaced with a sex scene to be honest. Absolutely. I mean, halfway through that's kind of what I expected to happen. Oh, right. It was like, all right, just kiss already. Kept kneeing him in the balls. Right. It was like, he, at one point he's like thrusting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, if you, if you just like uh, turned off the visuals and just listened, right, it would literally just point. be a sex scene. Um, but yeah, so basically, uh, Nada has now this 
whole thing that he brings Frank into and now they have to disrupt the status quo and they find the scientists again and the scientists have new technology that are um, contact lenses instead of the sunglasses so that they're less easily identified Um, but basically they're just working against the system that is too powerful yeah no that pretty much sums it up um yeah so this this movie uh was based off of a 1963 science fiction short story called eight o'clock in the morning uh written by ray nelson um i downloaded it and skimmed through it um and it's pretty much similar to the plot like it basically the short story doesn't really have a lot of detail it's basically about a guy who like goes to like a hypnosis show Ooh, um that's kind of different yeah no, no it's it's they change a lot um he goes to a hypnosis show and basically it's like at the end of it, you know, the hypnotist goes and then you will be awake. And then once he's awoken, he can see all the Oh, creatures. so it's like not scientist technology. Yeah, it's not scientist technology. It's like a psychological like awakening. And then it's kind of him just like running around, um, you know, kind of doing like the short story is basically the scene where he puts on the glasses for the first yeah. time in the movie where he's like kind of running around going like what's going on. But he he doesn't like go around shooting people. He's just kind of like trying to convince people that like, hey, there's like, right, we're being controlled. There's creatures, you know, and all this stuff. Um, and yeah, this um, I've lied to a lot of people about seeing this movie. <laughs> as far as like John Carpenter wise, uh, we got the uh, pleasure of getting it, see it in a theater. Yeah, um, it was like a special like 4K uh, showing. I really like seeing older movies in theaters. Yeah, it's really fun. It's a lot of fun. I want to see fucking Alien in a theater. Yeah, that'd be cool. In high school, th- there's like a, a theater. There's like a community theater thing in high school that was free. They showed a free movie every Tuesday. And I remember one year on Halloween, they were going to show Alien. And I really wanted to see it. And I didn't get to fucking go. And like something came up and it would have been awesome. <laughs> um, But... Yeah, no, uh, with this, I have a lot of, I've got a lot of things to say about this movie, um, but I want to hear, what what'd you think, did you like it, was there anything you didn't like about it, what did you think of Roddy Piper, what did you think of, what are some kind of just standout things about it? Um, and also, what's your opinion of John Carpenter in general so far, like with the movies you've seen? So, I definitely, <laughs> off the bat, for sure prefer The Thing to this movie. I do like... Um, one thing I did really like about this movie was, uh, wow, I just blanked. What do I like about a, this a movie? Char- a character, the themes. It was kind of funny. It was kind of goofy. It had it had like a, a f- there was some oh. fun little like humorous parts. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I thought that the messaging, like what he was seeing with the glasses on, was really heavy-handed and and funny. Um, there was nothing subtle about it, which I think was, was kind of fun. I also, when watching it, the scene that stuck out the most to me was when, um, the, so the government swoops in because they are trying to upkeep the status quo of, uh-huh. of, of the robots. Swoops into the church. No, not the church. Oh, um, a when scene. they swoop in and demolish the, oh, okay. the shantytown. Mm-hmm. That scene really stuck out to me because when we watched it, later on you find out that most of the people in that little um, encampment are not actually, like, unhoused people. Mm -hmm. Like, it was a front, and most of them are scientists um, because we see them later, and they're scientists uh, in the later meetup in the warehouse. 
Um, but watching that scene and watching like the police descend on this um, unhoused encampment, I realized that I'd never once seen that depicted in a movie before. The way that the government and particularly the police are used to literally demolish people's lives mm-hmm. in to just wash the poor people out right and that is something that people who literally already have nothing we're gonna right. take away their nothing right especially when like presumably those people are not doing anything quote-unquote bad mm-hmm. um you're trying to live right right and so that scene really stuck out to me because i've never seen that uh, in a movie before three meals and sleeping in a sleeping bag right I've, n- I've just never seen that in a movie before and i feel like um it's just one of those things that even the most like well-meaning person doesn't think about um mm-hmm. is like what happens to unhoused people and in the the city we currently live in it's something i've noticed here a lot um where I, I know of certain areas that have unhoused encampments and I've like driven by them and then one day I've driven by it and it's been gone. Mm-hmm. And just like the way that we as a society just like demolish the shit out of people's lives for no reason. Like that scene just really stuck out to me because it's a really long scene. Yeah, It's like a five minute scene mm-hmm. of like bulldozers and people being pushed to the ground and like uh, like police brutality and so that was interesting uh especially for such an older movie to um have such a long scene that depicted that happening because i've never seen it before in a movie um but yeah that really stuck out to me i also think that john carpenter especially in this movie just like doesn't know when to end a scene um he likes his long scenes yeah like on a lighter note um he just does not know when to stop because the fight scene between nada and frank was so long and it reminded me a lot of the the beginning scene of the thing Mm -hmm. when it's the dog running through the snow running from the helicopter right and that scene you you felt bad for the first time we watched well right because it's a dog and you know i love dogs um but that scene is so long and it like i just feel like he doesn't i as much as i like a lot of the visuals in they live and in the thing i just feel like his pacing is not it for me personally like that man does not know how to pace a movie because like what in your brain would make you think let me make this alleyway fight scene last five minutes that's just crazy yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. No, he, he definitely, like, likes to really uh, draw things out. I mean, in some... Did my iPad die? Yes, mm-hmm. it did. Um, well, hopefully I remember everything I was going to talk about. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, like, I, I, it almost kind of makes me think of, like, there are some really, really legendary long scenes in some of his movies, really, that I can think about. Like, there's... um, I told you about the movie Starman, which basically, like... Starman is about this alien that comes down to Earth and takes the form of this woman's dead husband, like the physical. So weird. The physical shape, like he crashes like outside of her house, takes the form of her dead husband, and there's a scene where he's just like him, the alien. She's passed out because she saw her dead husband come back to life, and him, the alien, is just walking around the house naked, and he's like kind of expressionless, 
and he's kind of like just trying to figure out like how to use things. Like he finds a gun and he kind of <laughs> picks, picks up the gun, like and he's holding it like, you know, he's kind of like holding it daintily like this, like not sure what to do with it. And then the TV's on, and he sees like a cowboy show on the TV, so then he puts it, you know, right, and you know, he's like walking around, and it's like a long scene where he's just like, and I feel like John Carpenter is the kind of filmmaker that really, I think a big benefit of it is that at least the movies that I've seen of his, you really get a good sense of the world and it really makes you feel it can, it can really help you kind of get sucked into what's going on because you get a good sense of environment. Like in this movie, I feel like I got a good sense of the layout of, of the encampment and the church and stuff. And like, I kind of got a good feeling of like where things were in relation to everything. And like, I think about something like Halloween you know, for example, where it's like the second half of Halloween is pretty much Michael Myers going through and killing people, like killing a bunch of people in this one neighborhood. Yeah. And I feel like it's a similar thing. It's like you spend a lot of repeated time in individual rooms in all these houses and the yards and stuff to the point where like I've got a really good mental map of like how this neighborhood is laid out and stuff. And I think that that's, that's something that John Carpenter in the thing, I have a mental image of how the, you know, the station is laid out and I feel like that's something that John Carpenter is really strong with. Um, yeah, no, and as far as, like, this movie, <laughs> I I had a really interesting experience because I thought, while watching this movie, I kind of thought, oh, no, Courtney's going to hate this <laughs> because I, I feel like my pessimistic 2023 brain kind of took a lot of the things in this movie and thought, like, this is going to get, like, fight clubbed. Or, like, this is going to get jokered <laughs> as far as, or this movie, or where, like, people are going to take the wrong things from this movie. Because there's something in about this movie that in, inherently bothered me as a black man. Yeah. <laughs> as far as, like, and th- there's a thing now with, like, me watching movies today where it's, like, when I was, when I was a young film bro... <laughs> Uh, I always try to think of movies as like, oh, I have to look at movies objectively. No. I have to look at movies with like zero perspective in mind because like, because movies can be objectively or subjective or only objectively good or bad. And now... That's just wrong. It is wrong. But now when I watch movies, like I kind of think, well, you know, like, like all art... Depending on your perspective, art can mean different things, you know? And I think that I was pretty thrown off by the fact that, like, things only got serious and action only happened when a white man, a a big, strong, buff, dumb, meathead white man figured out what was going on. And things started happening to him. Yeah. And only when, only when, and not only that, but, like, it took, like, it took the the destruction of the home of, like, dozens if not hundreds of homeless people. Yeah. And it took magic sunglasses. <laughs> and it took, like, all of this shit to get him to just realize, like, oh, society might be bad. <laughs> to yeah. realize, like, like, oh, like, Reagan, like, American economics might be bad. <laughs> You know, um, because early on in the movie, like I distinctly remember, you know, he's a bootlicker. Yeah, he's a bootlicker, hundred percent. Like early on in the movie, he's talking to Keith David 
about like you know Keith, Keith David's basically telling him like listen it's like rigged against us you know yeah like unless you have like a good setup like there's no way that you can make it and you know Roddy Piper's like well I believe in America right and it's <laughs> like know? all right yeah and then once he puts in the glass it's like oh no everything is kind of a, a setup and that's another thing too now here okay now. After reading interviews with John Carpenter and stuff and seeing his perspective, it's like, I I get the metaphor as far as like, yeah, the rich are like, are, are actively like, like keeping us kind of boxed in and dumb and like consuming media in order to control us and keep us poor and keep us doing yeah. shit right? like you know like that like yes i understand that like oh it's kind of like if some race of aliens came down and did it um but i kind of thought it was like this can definitely i can see like a QAnon type person or like a conspiracy theory yeah. type like person watch this and take it in a bad way and i was fucking right about it because one of the first that like on wikipedia um and like a little thing apparently since like the dawn of the internet or since since people started talking about movies on the internet Mm -hmm. um like up until 2017 ish which is when john carpenter actually had a public response to this um a lot of kind of like incel neo-nazi forums online yeah you know this is going um saw uh thought that this movie was a metaphor for, um, like, uh, Jewish people controlling the world. Oh, and like that, and like that is the thing. It's like like Jewish people are are kind of feeding it's the us. globalist mindset. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's like you know, and there was like basically all these online forums, people talking about like, yeah, that's what it means. You know, we got to rise up. And I kind of thought about that when like, yeah, no, if like, <laughs> I can totally see some QAnon dude watching this movie and watching Roddy Piper being a big badass shooting people in the bank and being like I'm here to kick ass and chew bubble gum and take all that and just see it in such a wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> and really joke and they did. And um yeah, so John Carpenter in 2017 in an interview basically like stated irrefutably like this movie has nothing to do like it's not about anything like that. Those people are dumb. And he pretty much said, this movie is a critique on Reaganomics. Yeah. Like, like, right. and that's it, you know? Um, so, yeah, like, for the movie, for what it is and what I, I know that John Carpenter is trying to say, like, I really enjoy that. Um, I think it's unfortunate that people can take the wrong messages from yeah. it. You know, but I think it's like any movie like this, you can take it around. Like I, I was thinking about Joker a lot. Yeah. The whole time where I was watching, it was like people totally took Joker, um, politically, like, like t- took the wrong messages from that. Right. Because the message of Joker was that disenfranchised groups have no choice but to remain disenfranchised. Yeah. And people did not take it that way. Yeah. Um, people took it to an edge lord way. Exactly. I really want to watch Fight Club with you and do a fight club episode. I think that'd be good. Because I think I it's it's the same kind of right. thing. Um and Dark like Dark Knight's almost the opposite as far Oh as, my god. Yeah. Um uh but. I did want to say that I think that that is a a good point to bring to this movie as far as like personally I feel like that kind of misunderstanding is what happens when you are a white man making a movie with no outside perspective. 
Like, it can be interpreted incorrectly. Because, honestly, like, watching the movie, Frank... So, obviously, there are casualties to this white man uh, finding out the truth. Like, he... He causes irrefutable damage to the community that he is joining. Like, Frank dies. Like, and and it's interesting that the one black main character dies as a result of the white man finally waking the fuck up. You know? So I feel like it it is interesting that the movie is like he couldn't believe that the world was rigged until he saw it himself because he couldn't see from other people's perspectives who are telling him firsthand no the world sucks like this black man is telling him like no like this is system is not meant for me and he's like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah like, he doesn't believe him hard. right and i feel like that's that's indicative of the world we're still in where people who are not marginalized refuse to accept that marginalized communities experience something different than them and instead just say a bunch of bootlicker shit until something bad happens to them because Roddy Piper's character in the beginning is literally unemployed and has had to be homeless and travel to a new state to find work but still believes in the American dream Mm -hmm. like wake the fuck up yeah beyond him just like being white um the fact that he he has the privilege to like one being just physically healthy enough to be able to just literally i'm just gonna walk to la right and he also doesn't have a family to worry about yeah like he has no nothing tying him down as far as like well if i leave my child's gonna starve to death Mm -hmm. Yeah, they never tell us he has a family. Although it very well could be just like like you find out afterwards, like oh yeah, he had like two kids and, <laughs> and, and a wife back in Colorado or the from, from Canada. Well, and and Frank repeatedly tells him, like I have a family that I'm sending money back to. Like I have a family that I'm doing all of this for, and Nada literally fucks his life up. And, like, makes him look through the glasses, even though he is repeatedly telling him, no, like, I have shit I need to do. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is also just, like, emblematic of the fact that there's a lot more holding down a black man versus a white man in today's society. Mm-hmm. And he, Frank is bringing all of that to Nada and being like, I can't do this right now. Like, I am disenfranchised. And Nada's like, nah, man, nah, man, just do this. Just do this. And then then Frank dies. Like, the thing that Frank was worried about happened. And it's like no skin off of Nada's bones, you know? Like, it's just like those kind of casualties are acceptable because it's in response to a white man finally being enlightened, you know? No, definitely, like, yeah, those aspects of this movie haven't aged well, and I kind of agree with you in that, like, that's part of what what makes a lot of these movies get misinterpreted in that way, for sure. Yeah, because if you had a more diverse group of people that you're pulling ideas from and, like, listening to for feedback on movies, on, like, on, like your plot, you know, like, if you're writing, if you're a white man writing a movie 
and you have a multicultural diverse group of people that you're running the movie by before like you know finishing it up you would have all these perspectives that would say oh i could see how this could be interpreted incorrectly or oh here's like a really important cultural aspect you're missing and it's like part of the reason why diversity in media and diversity in art is especially important because if it's just a room full of white men, they literally have nothing new to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a completely different, completely different genre, completely different like form of entertainment. I think that's one of the things that's so good about Big Mouth. Yeah. As far as like Big Mouth and Human Resources, the show, like which Nick Kroll is like the creator of the series, and it's like primarily based around him but like he has an extremely diverse team of writers and comedians working on that show yeah to like give all sorts of different perspectives on like what puberty and like what growing up is like for you know everyone of different like you know genders and you yeah. know races and whatnot and in human resources what that what all of those different perspectives are like as adults mm-hmm. which i think is really interesting like in in human resources especially like i can relate to that one more as an adult person Mm -hmm. now um but there are there's characters that are disabled there's characters of many different races of many different like life experiences people who have lost family members like there's there's a wide variety of human experiences which i think i think that in the past and also currently this is still happening uh particularly white male movie writers and directors have been too ambitious in their own definition of like what is the human experience as far as like white men have forever just like categorized the human experience as just their experience like the human experience to them is the same as the white male experience which is why so many aspects of media are like this is what it's like to be human but really what they mean to say is this is what it's like to be a white man this was like be a poor white man right or even a rich white man or whatever like most of the time movies and tv shows and stuff are centered around people who are financially stable that's true yeah and well aren't things so hard for me right which like you know that's a perspective but the fact that it's every perspective in every movie is a bit much and so, yeah, I, I agree that, like, obviously very different genres and, and, like, a totally different format of visual media. But, like, it is really nice to watch something like Human Resources or Big Mouth where, like, the characters all have something different that they're bringing to the table. Because that more accurately represents the human experience than something that is just White Man, the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts on They Live? Um, I liked the robot design. I thought they were creepy. The, yeah, the I thought cool. they were cool. I thought that the imagery was pretty heavy handed. Um, as far as like all of the signs being like consume, obey, like shit like that. Um, and then just the fact that it's just white man in America the movie um I I feel like a modern spin to it would be kind of cool like a remake I don't know if they've done that or not yeah that was one of the things I was gonna bring up as far as like there and it was on the Wikipedia page (laughs) there was a planned adaptation 
It was going to be a new adaptation of the original story of 8 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, it probably wasn't going to have, like, the glasses and stuff. Um, and it was by a filmmaker that I thought was a really interesting choice. <coughs> and if I oh, get to it. That was another point I meant to make um, about the technology of the sunglasses and then the contact lenses. I thought it was also interesting that this story didn't even take place in the perspective of a scientist. Like, literally this white man came in, did no work whatsoever toward the cause, and then benefited from the change. Like, he didn't even make the glasses. He didn't even talk with anyone who made the glasses. That's true. He stole the glasses. He stole the technology from scientists who were trying to do something. And then exposed them by acting weird out in public. Exactly. And then got a black man killed. Made things worse, yeah. He was pretty much the whole reason that they came in and wiped him out. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I found the, the thing. In 2010, a remake movie was uh, stated to be in development with Carpenter in a producing role. In 2011, Matt Reeves, who Matt Reeves is the director uh, and writer of The Batman, um, Robert Pattinson oh, Batman, yeah. and the new Planet of the Apes trilogy. Um, and yeah, it's basically, it was going to be a, uh, yeah, it was going to be more of a readaptation of the original, uh, short story, eight o'clock in the morning, um, which it would be a serious take. I feel like if you were to do a modern day adaptation of this, it would have to be like, well, not necessarily, it, it would, it would be a more serious take. You could do like a satirical kind of thing, or I feel like you could go around where it's like something like, um, like don't look up. Yeah. Where it's like very kind of heavy handed and like obvious, like, hey, this is what's going on. I think I'd rather it be more serious. Yeah. If, if you try to make it another sat- satirical thing again, I think people, it would have a similar response that Don't Look Up had as far as like everyone just be like, well, this is stupid and like heavy handed. Um, but yeah, like a serious, kind of like more dark version of it would be pretty cool. Yeah. And, and I feel like Matt Reese is a good filmmaker do it too because he also directed uh cloverfield the original cloverfield mm-hmm. um and i feel like between that I, and the batman has things with this too but like between that and planet of the apes he definitely is familiar with having like a critique on the way the world works i know that's kind of yeah. broad yeah but as far as like you know the batman has like some light things in there as far as like critiquing kind of bruce wayne's exploits is like you know you could do a lot more by just like donating a bunch of money to the charities or whatever, you know? Yeah, instead of being a freaky basement man. Yeah, instead of eating your blackberries in the dark. Right. You know? Um, yeah, but uh, so he's he's not a terrible choice. But yeah, I could see them, them doing a, re- uh, a remake, yeah. I think for me with this movie, I thought Roddy Piper was really funny in it. <laughs> yeah, some, he some, had a lot of funny lines. Some of his delivery and some of his stuff, like he was a very easy protagonist to follow like he was just such a he, he was, such, he was a, such a man he was such a man and at the beginning when he was like shirtless doing the construction work my <laughs> lord so but him and keith david oh yeah both the, just the so, sexual tension was off the charts so hot so hot um but yeah no uh trying to think yeah really excited to watch more junk opera. I, wa- I really want to watch big trouble in little china that's another it's kind of one of more of his like lighter films mm-hmm. um that's that's one that I've also lied to a lot of people about seeing. <laughs> so yeah, there's a big list of movies that like I, I have lied to a lot of people about. Like up until, up until like a month ago, I didn't see Titanic. Hadn't seen. You're Titanic. welcome. Yeah, thank you. It was great. 
really I, I get why it's like the best movie the highest grossing film ever um anyway yeah I think I think unless there's anything else I think that might wrap up this episode yeah I think the only thing I want to mention is that this is the midnight movie club and it is now um, it's about midnight it's it's past it's midnight mid- 20 it's midnight 21 mm-hmm. yeah so it's officially the midnight movie club uh, I'm tired I'm tired too I think next time we're probably going to talk mid uh, tw- ugh. Five Nights at Freddy's comes out this weekend. Can't wait. Um, although it might be more apt, Priscilla comes out the following weekend. Can't wait. We're definitely doing an episode on Priscilla. We'll do an episode on both. Yo, we got to do Priscilla versus El- like the movie Elvis. But I can't sit through Elvis. <laughs> well, no, we we watched half of it. We then I got the gist. Yeah, you you already know. We know what happened in real life. So. <laughs> Can we watch it on like three x speed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now we all we have to do is just watch the second half of Elvis. Let's just watch Jack White as Elvis in that scene in Dewey Cox and then ha- call that for, Elvis. For three hours. Yeah. Yeah. That would be more entertaining than watching Elvis. Where was Jack White's Oscar nomination? Facts, for? because that was perfect. I really wanted Austin Butler to win the be- be- just to hear his speech. Well, we'll hear you, it in Dune. Thank you very much for... <laughs> thank you very much, Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, so that wraps it up. Have a nice night, y'all. Bye. Bye. So, here we go. Thank <laughs> you.